Today, 50 days after Easter, is the Feast of Pentecost, or Whitsunday. Obviously, the word Pentecost somehow creates a connection with the number 50, uh, a pentagon being a five-sided figure. And we know, of course, what the Pentagon in Washington looks like as a building. On the Feast of Pentecost, we celebrate both the completion of the Easter season and the inauguration, in a way, of a new era in the life of the church in the world. For it is on the Feast of Pentecost, the first time round, that the disciples experience the promised gift of the Spirit, given from above in dramatic ways, coming down like tongues of fire, enabling them apparently to speak in tongues. It was dramatic, transformative, giving them the capacity to set the world on fire. And those ancient and strange hats, sometimes worn by bishops, uh, known as mitres, probably one of the few reasons why they make sense to the onlooker is that they somehow represent the red tongues of fire coming down on the heads of the apostles. And in a way, apostolic leadership is about giving dynamic, spirit-filled guidance to the church through all time. But leaving such things aside, I suppose our sense of Pentecost in the biblical narrative is of something very dramatic, colourful, strange, hard to replicate. And it's interesting that in the Anglican tradition, in the Book of Common Prayer, the collect, the prayer which gathers our thoughts for the Eucharist on this feast, it, for many centuries, and probably going back to roots even before the Reformation, has prayed for a much more, as it were, tranquil spiritual gift than the dramatic ones we normally associate with Pentecost. The collect of the day prays that we will be given, as God's people, with the help of the Spirit, a right judgment in all things. A right judgment in all things. It seems terribly understated when we think of tongues of fire and speaking in tongues and flames and drama to be praying about having right judgment. But actually, the older I get, the more I realise that the gift of right judgment amid the challenges and the predicament of being human is a very profound gift indeed. And if we don't seek and cultivate the capacity to judge shrewdly and wisely, without in any way being negative, harsh or cynical, for we must be fair, but if we don't cultivate in everyday life and relationships the capacity to judge shrewdly, we can do great harm in the world. Just to give a few examples, those of us who are parents know very well amid the challenges of parenting when you have to exercise sound judgment about when children should be given a certain measure of freedom and when they should not, when they should be, as it were, reined in and when they should be allowed to explore. Or again, if you've ever been involved in appointing somebody to a job, interviewing, faced with that difficult situation where the futures of a number of people are on the line and in a way in your hands, nothing matters more than the gift of right judgment about who should be called to some particular role. Or again, 
in the context of a democracy, from time to time, we face the important duty of exercising our choices at the ballot box. And sometimes it comes to complicated moral and political questions being boiled down to a binary choice in a referendum. And in such situations, prayerfully and taking into account all the implications, not just for ourselves and for others, we have to pray that we will exercise a right judgment in all things. So as I say, the older I get, the more I aspire modestly to cultivate the spiritual gift of sound and right judgment. And of course, there are those appointed to a particular role of judging among us those who are called to be members of the judiciary. Sometimes they get criticised. Sometimes the manner of their appointment is hotly debated. But we live in a country which has the privilege of having essentially an entirely independent and respected judiciary. And those who on our behalf interpret the law and hand down judgment deserve in their very making of judgments our prayers and our empathy. Perhaps it's because I am married to a member of the legal profession, but I often think of the huge responsibility that sits in the hands of our judges and how they deserve such understanding and prayer. The need to listen, to weigh things up, to analyse arguments, to see that everybody gets a fair hearing, but above all in that most uh, delicate of matters, the handing down of sentences, so that on the one hand, the duty of society to punish and to set right wrongdoing is recognised, while on the other hand, we never lose a capacity to see in people the capacity for rehabilitation and try to balance all the factors that have set be, been set before a court and take into account to the great sensitivity and plight of victims. I am quite sure that many of our judges lose sleep endlessly as they come to that moment of passing sentence, of measuring what should be handed down, and they, in a particular way, deserve to know that they have our prayers in their role. So right judgment for ourselves, right judgment for those who are the judges. Uh, these are Pentecostal gifts to be celebrated and cultivated. And of course, we talk a lot about judging because at the end of the day, we regard, people of faith regard God as the supreme judge. We have this sense that all our doings one day will be open to divine scrutiny, that people used to be very preoccupied by how their eternal fate would be determined by the ultimate judge, which way they would go. And there were frightening artistic representations of the last judgment, of course, rooted in the famous parable of the sheep and the goats. But when you think about it, that parable is really simply a projection into the end time of God's expectations of everyday humans in terms of decency towards others, care for the neighbour. It is a picture of living up to or otherwise the principle of loving the neighbour that is turned into the drama of the scene of the last judgment and the separation of the sheep and the goats. And as I think of that parable, 
and the pictures it evokes and the reality of the ancient Eastern world where from afar it was really quite hard visually to distinguish a sheep from a goat. I sometimes say to myself rather curiously, I wonder what the subtle distinction between the worst sheep and the best goat was when judgment was being made. And perhaps because judgment is at the end of the day so hard to make in that context, I sometimes cling to, and I hope this is not, as it were, an excessively liberal perception, but at the end of the day, we are talking about metaphor here. I sometimes cling to the hope that while we must always as faithful people respect the power of God to judge and his capacity to scrutinize us, nevertheless, might we hope that when the last trumpet comes, as it were, there won't need to be any goats and that all things are capable of redemption and the place we name as hell while sometimes we need to name it, at least metaphorically, will end up eternally empty. But perhaps that is too speculative and too liberal and too out of this world. So I come back to the very practical Pentecostal thought that the ultimate gift of the Spirit deserving our cultivation is to have a right judgment in all things. It's an everyday gift and to be supremely cherished.